man, aren't you glad that you decided to gather with the church today? That was good stuff. Good stuff. Hey, I, um, I, I, I want to thank you for being here today. Um, I know that some of you travel distances to get here, but I, I'm going to go ahead and address this again. We got a few folks who traveled an extra mile or two or like 8,000 miles to be here. Can we actually give a real heart of life welcome to our Taiwan friends who are here today? And I know that you tried to do this a little earlier, but the video was still kind of going. So could we actually give God some praise for Ray's story? How cool was that? I'm really excited about next weekend, baptism celebration. Um, I think we're going to experience some cool stuff together. We are starting a new talk series today called Magnetic. Magnetic. And what it's based on is when the church is really leaning into Jesus, therefore when the church is really living on mission, we get to see Jesus draw people to himself. He is magnetic. And so over the next three weeks or so, we're going to talk about um, three different areas that we believe we can improve. Some areas where we just want to, to get better, we want to love better so that we can see that magnetic aspect of who Jesus is when he works through his people. So um, one of the weeks we're going to talk about worship. I think that's going, to be, that's going to be a fun talk together. Um, I'll give you the others today as we kind of go through it. You're, you're going to see. If we talk about this one and then uh, we'll talk, then I'll give you the heads up of where we're going next week. But I think this is going to be just a cool time for us as the church um, for what God wants to do in us. In a little bit, we're going to get to a text. We're going to get to the Scripture. We're going to get to a story in the Bible but I want to start today by really bringing back an image that we have looked at before as the church. It is an image that I think really helps us get a grasp on what we're about. And it is this image of a table. The church is to be like a table. And for us, as Heart of Life, when we read the Bible, we believe that everybody is invited to the table. Everybody, no matter who you are, no matter what your past may look like, no matter what you have done that, that even you maybe still have not told some people, I'm saying you matter to God. He loves you, and he proved it at the cross when Jesus gave his life for you. And so I want you to see the church is like a table. And maybe you would say, okay, then Jeff, what's the food? What's the food that we, that we serve at, at this table? Well, Jesus said in John chapter 6, he said, I am the bread of life. And he said, whoever comes to me never goes hungry. They, they, are, they are fully satisfied. 
in God's kitchen, carbs are in, all right? I know carbs are out in a lot of places, right? But, but in God's kitchen, carbs are in because it's about the bread. He, he describes himself. He says, I, I'm, I, I am the bread of life, and, and, and whoever comes to me, they, they never hungry again. There is this emptiness in all of us because we are made to know and love God. And when we come to know Jesus, he fills our empty soul, our mission is to serve the bread. Our mission is to consistently present, here's who Jesus is, the cosmic carbohydrate to a hungry world. The church is a table where people come to be filled. Okay? But we use the table image because the chairs represent three chairs in particular, represent, um, I'll just explain it to you. It goes like this. We'll let this be chair number one. Chair number one represents those who are not yet Jesus followers. That's chair number one for us. People who are not yet following Jesus. Now, we use the word not yet because that's our mission. Our mission is to say this is who Jesus is. Our mission is that we want the whole world to know that God loves you. If you're going to be a biblical church, and by biblical, I mean if we're going to look like the church in Acts really looked a biblically functioning church, then I'm telling you this chair will be the chair for the church. There's a reason it's number one. This chair is the chair. Now, this may represent people who have never, ever been to church in their entire life. Maybe they've never actually heard who Jesus is. Or it could represent people who have been around church. They may have heard the name of Jesus. They may even call themselves Christians, but they've never, ever really begun a relationship with Jesus like you heard Ray talk about. That's who this chair represents. Now, I'm going to tell you, when you make this chair the chair, hell breaks loose. But the good news is, heaven also breaks loose. I'm telling you, when you make this chair the chair, There is a battle that you are involved in between light and darkness. And so, okay, this is the point where you would say, okay, so Jeff, what you're saying is, I mean, we're only about people who are far from God. You're saying that as a church, we're only about people who have not yet begun a relationship with Jesus. And I'm saying, no, that's not what I said. But I am saying that the real church always thinks about this chair even when they're thinking about the other chairs. You read it for yourself. Read the book of Acts. The real church is always thinking about this chair even when we're thinking about the other chairs because Jesus gave the mission He said, go, my my spirit's going to empower you and you're going to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. In other words, 
he cares about the empty chair. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. He's like, I, I, I care about the empty chair. And so your mission, look, the fields are ripe, he said. They're everywhere. There are people who are ready to hear, we care about the empty chair. Do we welcome people who are already believers? Absolutely. But believers who understand this chair is the chair. If you like, see something different in Scripture, I'd be willing to hear it. But that's the picture that we see. Now, let's move to chair number two. Chair number two represents people who are new followers in Jesus. That they are new Jesus followers. They have heard this news of who Jesus is, and they've stepped across that line of faith to say, I am entrusting my life to him. Jesus, you take over. I want to follow you. They are new Jesus followers. If this chair is the chair in the life of a church, then this chair will be regularly being filled because Jesus is magnetic. He's magnetic. And he's drawing people to himself. Here's what these people in this chair are learning how to feast on God's word. People in this chair are learning how to connect with God's people. And people in this chair are learning how to do the very same thing that was done for them. How do I leverage my life for people who are not yet here just like they did for me. So, for chair number two, we're going to talk about this more next week. This is going to be part of the conversation that deals with the topic that we're talking about next week, but that's why we do things here like directions. Um, it, it is a study that we want to see all people who put their trust in Jesus walk through because it is the foundations of what we believe. It is when we look at the Bible, these are the things that are most important. This is what we want you to get. First steps, making sure that your feet are grounded and you understand who you're called to be. And we want to see people connected in teams. We want to see people in life teams together. We want them seeing, sharing life together. That's what chair number two is, and we'll talk about some of that more next week. And then there's chair number three. Chair number three represents the mature Jesus followers. They're the mature Jesus followers. Now, we are always, always growing. We don't, in this life, we don't get to this point where we go, arrived, right? No, we, we are always growing, we are always maturing, but, but in the Bible's language, there is this picture of, of a person who is considered becoming mature in following Jesus. They are the people who are worshiping. They are the people who are connecting. They are the people who are growing in God's word. They are the people who are serving. They're pouring out their lives for others. They are the people who are reaching. They are the mature. Jesus said in John chapter 4, he said, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me. 
In other words, maturity is not just filling up your head. Maturity is, I'm hearing what God says, I'm feeding on His Word, and then I push away from the table so that I can go, serve, because there's still some people not in this chair. See that? I'm feeding. I'm eating. He's filling me up. I push away from the table, though, because he's called me to live and to serve and to pour out my life for those who are not yet here. I believe with all my heart that the deepest churches are the churches who understand the priority on this chair. You do not have to tell people if you're mature. But there is a sign if you're not. And the sign that you're not mature would be, well, hold on, because that reminds me there's one more chair, all right? And, And it's not really a chair that we want, but it's a chair that sometimes shows up. Here's what this chair looks like. I want to get fed. I want to be served. Nobody's fill in the blank for me. If you hear whining about not being fed, it is a sure sign that you are not a mature believer in chair number three. Just think about it. If you cannot yet feed yourself, then you have not yet matured. Now, I have discovered that as soon as, when people learn a language of feed me, then you should be able to eat. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like if you know how to say feed me, then, then you, you need to learn how to eat. And, and that's what this chair is all about. It's about once you, once you step across the line, we, we, here's how you feed yourself. Here's how you learn how to eat. Here's how you learn how to, how to grow. Now, this chair is not for new Christians. It is not. For new believers, you get a chair that is just as significant as somebody who's been sitting at this table for 40 years. The high chair is not intended for you. The high chair is for people who have sat around the table and they eat and they eat and they eat and they eat and they eat, but they never push away from the table to serve in order to put the priority on the chair. See, we're called to grow through adolescence, right? Yeah, everybody starts as a baby. Everybody starts as a child, but we grow through adolescence to adulthood. You ever had adolescence in your house? Did you let them run the show? You're like, no. Because if we let the adolescence run the show, then it would be a mess, right? Here's what I want you to understand. When the high chairs come out, 
when the high chairs come out, now it's decision time for you. And I'm just kind of letting you in on an inside picture. It's why about 15,000 pastors resign every year. 15,000. Because this is the moment you got to decide what you're going to do. And often what happens is this happens. It's going to be okay. No, 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 okay. I, here, 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 eat this, eat this. Here, here, you, no, no, no oh, here, you, eat this. And, and, and this, 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 it, 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 no, it, it's, it's all about you. It's, it's, it, no, really, it, it's all about you. That's the tendency. But I believe with all my heart that even though from time to time we have certainly struggled, we're not pretending like we got a bunch of stuff right all the time because we didn't. But for the Heart of Life Church, the reason I believe that God has continued over the years to push us forward in the mission is because we have never, ever made the choice to do this. Because when you make the choice to do this, you just turned your back on all the chairs that God said you're actually supposed to be helping grow up. When you turn your chair to the high chair, now come on, don't, don't misread what I'm saying today. This is not about, hey, pastor, I got a question. Please don't, please don't. This is, this is not like, hey, I'm kind of struggling to figure out what this means or where we're going. That, that is not what I'm talking about. So don't, don't read all that so far that it's like we, we should never ask a question and we should never struggle. Quit it. That's not, that's not what this is about. This is about where a decision is made that we're not going to turn our back on what Jesus said very clearly is to be where our heart and our lives are engaged. And today... I want to put this in a light for you, that I want you to think about one specific group of people who sits in these chairs. Your children. Your children. Maybe it's your grandchildren. When I say children, I'm talking about anybody from birth, and please, you guys don't, don't take this in, but when I say children, I'm talking about anybody from birth to, to adulthood, all right? So wherever that age is going to fall for you you, you, you can you can fill in the blank, but this would include our kids, this includes our students. I, when I say kids, I, I don't mean that disrespectful, I just mean some of you, I believe scripture paints the picture that until a child is old enough, I really do believe there's enough evidence in Scripture that until a child is old enough to decide for themselves, I believe God's grace covers them. But there comes a point in every child's life, it's a different age for each child, where they come to this realization that I have sinned and Jesus is a Savior. And they must decide for themselves. And some of you have kids that this chair represents because they have not yet chosen to follow him. Some of you have kids who sit in this chair. 
And not too long ago, some of them, they've, they've put their trust in Jesus. They, they've put their trust in him, and they're starting to follow. Boy, putting it in light of your kids, doesn't this suddenly seem to, it kind of takes on a different light. Kind of takes on a different significance, because now you're messing with my kids. And some of you have kids sitting in this chair. And it is absolutely remarkable to me the kids in Heart of Life who sit in this chair and, and they know how to feed, but they push away from the table and they actually pour out their lives and they get it, if anybody gets it, that this chair is the chair. And they get that somebody did something in order to get to them and now they want to have the same willingness to do whatever it takes to get to their friends. I had some remarkable conversations with young people this week, heart of life kids, who were sitting there asking me questions about what the best way is to talk to this person that I really love and I want them to know who Jesus is. How do, how do I go about that? And, and, and I, I got this relationship that, you know what, I've known them my whole life, but I've never actually shared, I've never actually told them, I've never, I've never said. And so how do we do that? And we, we're talking through it this week. It is absolutely beautiful. Here's what I want you to know. How we work together will change how a generation sees God. How we work together as a church, as the church, it will change how every next generation sees God. I want to tell you the story this morning, at least part of it, of a guy by the name of Nehemiah. Nehemiah. Now, it's kind of been the pattern this summer. Like last week, we talked about Samson, right? And like we talked about Samson in one week, and we could have taken like an entire month to do a whole series on Samson, but we kind of gave you the overview. We'll go back and, and hopefully do that one day because I think Samson's story is remarkable. Well, Nehemiah's story. Shoot, we, we could go for months and months and months because outside of Jesus, I don't know anybody in the Bible who, who brings to the table more teaching, principles, wisdom when it comes to leadership. Nehemiah is your man. If you've never studied his life, you should check out Nehemiah because this man knows how to lead. Now let me tell you a story. Nehemiah comes along at the end of a period of time that God's people, because of their rebellion, God let them be turned over to another nation. He let the Babylonians capture them. The, the, the Israel, God's people, was taken into exile for some 70 years. And Nehemiah comes along at the end of that time period. He is actually born from parents who have never, they were captive. They were taken as captive, and, and when they were taken out of Israel to Babylon, that's where Nehemiah was actually born. He comes along about 444 B.C., and it's the time when God's people, God's starting to send them back home to the land that's theirs. A guy by the name of Ezra in the Bible has already taken a couple of groups. They're, they're headed back. They're working on the temple back in Jerusalem. Nehemiah, though, he hasn't gone back home yet. He actually has a job in the court of the Persian king. 
It's a sweet gig. It's, it's kind of a cushy, cushy job. I'll tell you about it in just a minute. But everything changes when Nehemiah starts to hear about what's going on back home. Check this out. Nehemiah chapter 1. Let's check out the first. Verse 3 says this. They said this to me. So these are some people who've come from Jerusalem talking to Nehemiah. They said this to me. Those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So here's Nehemiah's picture. Jerusalem is in ruins. While he's sitting pretty in the Persian king's palace. And so when he hears the news, I mean, to say that he is broken sounds like an understatement. I mean, he, he is weeping and, and he is praying because he sees what needs to be rebuilt. Can I, can I tell you that when the church ignores the brokenness that they see around them, the church loses their power of influence in a community when we do nothing? If you see the brokenness around you but do nothing, we really lose our influence. In fact, I'm going to go further than that. If, if the, the statement, if you ignore the need, you're participating in the brokenness. You understand that? When, when you see a hurt, when you see a need, but, but if we don't respond, we are actually participating in a, in a brokenness that is ongoing. Nehemiah knows that. And so immediately he says, God, how can I help? Check out verse 11. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. This man would have been the king that Nehemiah works for. And he says, here's his job. I was cupbearer to the king. I was cupbearer to the king. You're like, whoa, what does that mean? Well, here's what it means. Nehemiah got as close to the king as anybody could get, except for the king's wife, I would say. Because Nehemiah's job, a part of his job, was to taste. We're like, well, what's wrong with that? That sounds like a, I mean, that would work. It's to taste. It's to taste the food. It's to taste the drink. But the reason he tastes the food and the reason he tastes the drink is just in case somebody wants to assassinate the king by poisoning him. So Nehemiah's life motto was, long live the king. Long live the king, which means long live the cupbearer, right? But in order to have that role, you are trusted. You are trusted. But here's what Nehemiah does. He teaches us to leverage whatever you have. When you see a need, when you see something that is broken, what do you do? You leverage whatever you got. I mean, Nehemiah would have easily been able to say, not in my job description, this ain't my job description. Are you kidding me? It's a wall that's broken down. I taste food. That's what I do. 
I, I, I am trustworthy to the king, but he risks what he has. He gives up a respected position, and literally this man is about to do hard labor for a period of time because he sees the need. So what does he do? He gets permission from the king. He secures both materials and the passes that he needs to get all of this done. And then he goes home. Chapter 2, verse 17. Then I said to them, now this them is he's back home. This is his people in Jerusalem. I said to them, you see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. The king was crazy gracious. The king said, what do you need? Whatever you, whatever you need. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. You know what we see Nehemiah do? Here's what Nehemiah does. He calls others to see the mission and he just expects them to help. He says, Here, here's what's broken. Here, here's, what, here's what needs to happen. Here's the priority. So come on, let, let's get this done. When he sees it, he begins to help everybody else sees it, and then he just expects. Now, now check this out. He's challenging them to rebuild the city walls. In those days, that was a big deal. A lot of people wouldn't even move back to the city until the city wall. This is not what most of these people had done before. I mean, it, it, it really would kind of be like, hey, we're going we're gonna to build a city. If I said we're going to build a city wall, and a bunch of you would be like, I don't know. I don't know anything about building a wall. A few would, but the majority of them have never built a wall. Now, here's what I love. Here's what I love. Nehemiah didn't pass out any spiritual gift test. None. We read about none and no spiritual gift test. Hey, everybody take the test. Everybody fill in the blanks. Everybody put in the numbers so that we can find out what your spiritual gift is, and that way you ain't got to do anything else. No spiritual gift studies. No, let's find out who's gifted at wall building. No personality test handed out. I personally really like that. No personality tests. Let's find out what your personality is so we know where we need to put you and how we're going to use you. I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I understand some of those tools are significant. But the point of, of this entire picture is here's what it came down to. Evil was present and lives were at stake. And so forget the personality test and for, forget the spiritual gifts. Everybody on board. And all I'm saying is, if we could ever really get the picture that evil is present and lives are at stake, and if you don't yet know that about your kids, it is time to wake up. Evil is present, and he wants your kids. Everybody on board. It's amazing how all that other stuff suddenly doesn't matter 
when we see the big picture. And what's amazing to me is everybody needed to rebuild was already in the town. Guys like Nehemiah, I got this. And they did it in 52 days. But in that 52 days, don't, don't be deceived, Nehemiah was met with criticism. He was met with ridicule. I mean, there were people saying, you can't do this. These walls, they are in ruins. Look at the work to be done. Look at how much has to be organized. You, you can't put all this together. In one point, one of them says, if a little fox walks across the wall, it's going to crash. Vision attracts criticism, and it always has. Because vision is difficult to defend, because you're talking about something that has not yet actually come to be. A cynic will always be able to poke holes in a vision, even a God-given vision. I'm going to say that again. A cynic will always be able to poke holes in a vision, even a God-given vision. Because it's a vision. With criticism, then here comes fear. Check it out. Chapter 4, verse 13. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall. Now, all kinds of stuff has happened in between here. You're just going to have to read the whole story. I mean, I'm giving you cliff notes today. I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fighting for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. It is the part in the story where it really looks like there's this possibility that Nehemiah and his people are going to lose. And Nehemiah does something brilliant. He positions families along the wall. He puts parents, sons and daughters, he puts them together in different places on the wall. So that suddenly, now when they're fighting, they're not just fighting for some rocks on a wall. Who are they fighting for? They're fighting for their kids. They're fighting for their kids. And guess what happens? The enemy backs off. Because even the enemy is smart enough to know when people start fighting for their kids, that's a whole different level of fight. People start fighting for their kids, they get crazy. People start fighting for their kids, they're not intimidated. 
people start fighting for their kids, it's like they're all in. You're not just going to say some things and, and get us to stop. The enemy backs off. I mean, Nehemiah put parents in a position to be champions. And come on, can you imagine five, ten years down the road and those children that they fought for on that wall on that day grow up, start to have their own children, and one day they're sitting around the dinner table and that mom or that dad looks at their children and says, let me tell you a story about what your grandpa did for me. Let me tell you a story about how your grandma stood in the gap. And son, daughter, I'm all in for you. I will fight for you. Because I want you to know how great our God really is. I want you to know about a love of Jesus that is real. And I don't want you to be afraid to give all of your life to trust him. Nehemiah set them up to be champions. He set those parents up to be champions. Here's what we're dealing with in the world in which we live now. A bunch of the kids that, that we encounter that need to sit in these chairs, parents, parents actually just, they're, you can't find them. And that's the beautiful picture of where the church becomes the church. And the church begins to fill gaps in the wall for children, for kids, for students. How we work together will change how a generation sees God. And every generation that comes along, that will be the case. Outside the walls, the people even opposed to the building of that wall, they began to see God differently. And the people on the inside, they definitely saw God differently. Those kids, they saw God differently than they had ever seen him before. Let me read one more text to you, Nehemiah chapter 6, because the, the thing ain't over. It's not over. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1, here's what it says. When word came to Sanballat, what, what a great name, just he's an enemy, Tobiah, Geshem, and the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, all right? So these are all bad guys in the story. These are all guys that wanted it shut down. These are all guys that wanted to intimidate Nehemiah. These are the guys saying if a little fox walks on the wall, it's gonna, they're, they're just trying to shut the thing down. They heard that I had rebuilt the wall, and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates. Nehemiah's funny. He's like, I, I, look, there was still like a thing or two we had to do, all right? He's just being honest with us. Samballan and Geshep sent me this message. Come let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. 
So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Let me translate. Nehemiah says, oh no. They're like, hey, let's meet it, oh no. And he's like, oh no. Oh no, oh no, we're not, we're not gonna do that. The first attempt at distraction is let's have a summit. Let's have a summit. You have built a wall. Let's get together and talk this out. And Nehemiah's like, don't stop for distractions. Because once you see the need and once you engage in the battle, once you're all in, there will be distractions along the way and you have to continually say, oh no. Four times they send messages for Nehemiah to come meet with them and every time, oh no, not going to happen. Just so you know, after that, they went after his character. That's what happens. Let me put a little application on this before we close our time together. Um, We've got about 65 of our friends from Taiwan who are here with us for a couple weeks. Some of them are in this service. Some will be in Lee Summit. It depends on where their host families were as to where, where they will be today. But I, I want you to know and understand something. I, I want you to just see a few people. Let, let me call their names, and then you can just hold on for a second. But Pastor Michelle, would you stand? And where's Joseph and Esther? Would you, would you stand? And Andrew, would you stand? Is he here? He might, is Jay here? Is Jay here? Jay, we, okay. Here's what I want you to hear me say. Just stand. Just stand for a second. The reason that there are 65 kids with us in these couple of weeks. Now, I want you to think about that. Anybody want to take on the challenge of 65 kids flying across an ocean? Any sign-ups today? 65 kids, let's fly across an ocean and hang out in, a, in another country for, you want to know why? Because in the hearts of these leaders, this chair is the chair. This chair is the chair. And we say, thank you. God will lead us. They care about the empty chair. I mean, I'm 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 kind of joking, but I'm kind of not. Like, would you want to give like? the couple of weeks that you've got of your life to like where you could be just like chilling out and doing nothing and instead go, hey, let's take 65. All that's involved in that, all the prep, all the work, why would you do that? This is why you do that. You know, we're more than a year into the vault. Now there's two locations of the vault, one in Harrisonville, one here. This one's really just starting to to spin up. 
I mean, we want more. And you know why we want more? This chair. This chair. But here's, 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 here's what I'm learning in this whole process of things like the vault, which is a student center. It's a place where kids can come and, and hang out um, after school, during the summer. But I am regularly reminded that most people just want the next generation to get their act together, but very few people actually want to walk through what I'm going to call the messiness to get there. I'm going to tell you something. We, Pam can testify to this. We have actually sat in meetings with people who are a part of organizations, and they said to us, you need to leave the messy kids behind so that you can get all the good kids. And I, I, I was glad I was there because like, I kept Pam from going over the table. <laughs> she was going. She was going over the table. No, she wasn't really. She was very composed. But our hearts weren't because we were like, you don't understand who we follow. You don't, you don't understand what this is about. We can't leave the messy kids behind. And if it means that the only kids we reach are the messy kids, then something about I came not for the well, but the, those who need a doctor. And my prayer is that God will keep growing up heart of life kids who will recognize that they are... They, we, they, people poured out, people changed, people went through all kinds of stuff to get to them. And now that they're sitting in this chair, my prayer is that God would shape their heart to realize that, that like, life is not about staying away from the messy kids. Life is not about just reaching all the, the good ones. But that God will continue to raise up students from the inside who will be willing to walk through the mess to reach people that some of their friends may not come if, if, if they go there, but Jesus said, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. And when he said Samaria, they went, <gasps> no, not Samaria, not those kids. I want to just thank some the people who who continue. Um, th there are some folks that I'm not going to call their name today because they'd be mad at me. But but they they stay in it, they fight through the mess. Heaven knows. Um, one of these days we'll all celebrate that. But you know why they do it? Right here. Right here. I want to um, tell you that I'm excited about what's about to happen in regards to our kids' ministry um, across Heart of Life as a whole, um, particularly as it pertains to this gathering time, okay? Our goal is to see as many people as possible connected and growing 
and that includes our kids. That's what we're applying today. They are sitting in these chairs. We want, we want them growing. We want them connected. And so one of the things we're about to do, it's going to take another six weeks or so to, to get all that in, in play, but this hour and a half that we have together, it's also going to become an hour and a half that our, that our kids have all together. And when I say kids now, I'm talking, you know, birth up through fifth, fifth, sixth grade. Um, a time where they can worship together and songs that, that hit their heart and um, a time where they can be connected in life teams because they're the only crew across our church that doesn't have the opportunity yet to be in life teams. Our students can, adults can, but our kids aren't, and we want them in life teams. We want them growing together. And so we are looking at putting all of our resources, all our resources, all our manpower um, into the hour and a half that happens right here, and here's part of why, because that's when the kids are here. That's when they're here. A couple of weeks ago, we had like two kids short of having the same number of kids we had at Easter. That's cool. So let's get them. And you know when they were here? During this hour and a half. That's when they were here. So let's take our teachers and let's pour resources in. Teachers are going to rotate because teachers, we don't want them to have to miss, you know, uh, this gathering every single week. And so teachers are going are gonna to rotate. But, I mean, I, I see it. it it's like, a, like what we experienced in VBS the last couple of weeks and how much fun that was. I want the word fun to always be connected in the heart of our kids when they think about the church and they think about Jesus. Now, come on, they got, they got plenty of time as they grow up to understand all the, the heartache and the pain that goes on in this world. But when it comes to Jesus and when it comes to the church, they should think fun. And we don't have to sacrifice anything to do that. I, I want them to know there is a joy that comes in being connected to Jesus and so we want to see an hour and a half. We're going to pour into them. I mean, we want them walking out of here going, that was cool. That was cool. Are we coming back next week? That's what we want them to experience. And we're going to put an attention on that this hour and a half like we never have before. Instead of it being spread out, we're going to go after them when they're here. Why? this chair and since we're talking about your kids I think you understand what I'm saying in uh, a couple of months September um, we've got five we got six missionaries who are headed back to Taiwan uh, one of them is 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 the is the guy with all the tenure. That's Larry. He, he's been around. So Larry, Larry's the, 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 the senior on the, on the team. But there are five of them who are all young 20s and below. And they're going to go to Taiwan for season of their life in order to go after some things that we've never gone after there before. Well, how'd that happen? How did that happen? So some, some kids who, who somebody did something in order to see their heart turn to him and then 
some steps where they, they begin to learn how to, how to feast on God's word and be connected with his people. And all of a sudden, here they are, people at the table who will push away and say, I'm going. How'd that happen? There were some, in, in many of those cases, there were some families standing in the wall, standing in the gaps of the wall for a long time. But there, there was also some, some church standing in the gaps of the wall for a long time. It's just this beautiful picture of what happens when together we can see a generation changed in how they see God. Come on, let our prayer be, God, raise them up. God, raise them up. Keep raising them up that their heart is sold for you. Can I let you in on a little secret? When you love kids this way, when you love kids this way, it's magnetic. It's magnetic. The word, the word will get out that you love kids. The word will get out that adults are willing to adjust. Can you believe it? The word will get out that we will choose to be a people who stand in a gap and we will fight for every next generation. We want to miss none. The word will get out. Some of you remember when you first had kids? For some of your stories in a room this size, some of your stories, when you first had kids, you're like, we better get back in church. Isn't that funny how that happens? We, we better get back in church because all of a sudden it's, it's bigger than you. All, all of a sudden it's, it's, it's more than just you. All of a sudden as a parent, you felt the responsibility of going, I want to be a part of something where people will do whatever it takes to see my kids come to trust Jesus and then grow them up and then send them out. Some of you need to join us in this effort. May God help us see the truth. There is an enemy that threatens, but there is a savior who rescues and sends. May we be the church, and may we see Jesus draw. We'll pick it up right here next week. Well, what does that mean? Like for some of our adult stuff, we'll pick it up right here next week, and we'll talk about how we step into those gaps. All right? I'm going to pray for us. And then uh, when this is over, we're going we're gonna to have some folks around the side. We're available. You need prayer today. That, that, that time, that, that opportunity doesn't pass. Even as folks are just visiting and mingling around, we'd be honored to pray for you today. We'd be honored to pray for your family today. Maybe you got kids that you're praying for, kids that you want to see come to know Jesus, kids that you want to see. Hey, let's, let's take some moments and pray for them. That's why we're here. Let's do battle. I'll pray. And we'll be dismissed. I pray that you have a dangerous week, all right? Dangerous for his name. God, that's my prayer, that you would empower your people. God, I thank you for people 
who, who are stepping over the line in terms of faith and they are putting their trust in you. God, I thank you for those people that you are drawing. I thank you for those new believers, God, who are, who are running after your heart. And God, I thank you for the people who sit in, in chair number three. God, it, it may not be a, a gigantic crew when it comes to this body, um, but God, it is a powerful crew of people. They are so crazy unselfish. God, I thank you for them, and I pray that you would encourage them today. I pray, God, that you would just give them that, God, no fear, seeing the truth an enemy that wants to steal, but a God who fights for our families. God, help us to trust. God, I pray that as a church you would continue to give us wisdom. God, give us, give us sight. Give us courage then to follow. I thank you for what you are still doing. I thank you for what you're about to do. God, may your people be blessed but may your great name be honored above it all. We love you today. In the name of Jesus, amen. And I love you guys. Thank you for listening today. God bless. You are